trust, talking about authority. I'm going to finish that and uh, go into a new one uh, next week. If you remember, I said in Proverbs, there's two, when I go through Proverbs, I see four things. I see authority. I see values. One's personal values. I see character. And I also see legacy. What kind of legacy are you going to... Uh, Leave for your children and, and so forth and so on. And so we'll, we'll be looking at the, the next one. I haven't decided if it's going to be personal values or character. I probably ought to go with character first and then personal values second. Or maybe personal values first and then talk about character. I don't know. So I haven't really figured that out yet. But So we're going to finish authority today. If I stop talking and start teaching, we'll do that. So let's go ahead and go to Lord in prayer. It's good to see everybody. Father in heaven, we come to you, Lord, and uh, we're dependent upon you to help us to just see what you would have us to see, Lord. I mean, I know that your word speaks to each and every one of us uh, individually. We've all got our own uh, background. We've all have our own uh, mental filters. We all have our experiences uh, and so forth and so on. But you, you are the master teacher and you're able to address each individual uh, right where they're at. And so that's what we're asking. I pray, Father in heaven, that you would just uh, speak to each and every one of us. Uh, Open our eyes to the truth that is in your word. And help us, O Lord God, to uh, appreciate what it is that we do have. We thank you so very much for Jesus Christ, our Savior. And we pray, Lord God, that we would live our lives pleasing unto you in all things. We thank you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen. So, um... Proverbs 1-7 is the verse that I have uh, keyed off of as far as the issue of authority. Uh, Proverbs 1-7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise uh, wisdom and, and instruction. And of course, when it says the fear of the Lord, essentially, yeah, there should be a certain dread, there should be a certain trepidation, because He is Almighty God. Uh, you know, one of these days we're all going to stand before Jesus Christ at the judgment seat of Christ. and So yeah, there should be a, 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 some trepidation, but it also talks about uh, loving God with all our hearts, mind, strength, and body, that we esteem Him above all others, uh, whether it's our family or, our go- or the government or our employers, our teachers or pastors. He's the one who should be preeminent in our life. That's what it means to, to fear the Lord. And uh, talking about authority, once that is established in your heart, you know, God is preeminent in my life, he's the one that I love, he's the reason why I do what I do and, and think what I think, that's going to set the tone for the rest of your uh, journey through life. Uh, that's a very key and important issue, is to get that settled, because, G, uh, because he is the source of all life, he is the truth, he is the ultimate authority. Now, on the other hand, those who who fail in this crucial landmark, uh, they tragically uh, choose to ignore it, or even more tragically, they know it, but they choose to, <laughs> you know, rebel against it. Uh, life for them is not going to be easy, and unfortunately, at the end of their life, um, it's even going to be worse on him. Uh, It says here in the Bible that uh, fools despise uh, wisdom and instruction. Now a fool, what is a fool? 
Uh, well, one of the one of the ways to define a fool is a fool is someone who knows better, but uh, does contrary, goes contrary to what they know. Right? A fool is somebody who knows better. He, but they go contrary to the wisdom and instruction. They, they're going to do their own thing. In spite of the good advice, in spite of the sound counsel that they've been given, in spite of the warnings, they're going to choose their own way. They're going to, they're going to go their own way because that's just the way they, they want to be. Uh, you can't tell them any differently. Uh, they just seem to know what's right for them, even though it's not right. So that's a fool. Somebody who knows better but goes ahead and, and does uh, something contrary to sound wisdom. Proverbs 14.16 says, A wise man feareth and departeth from evil, but the fool rages and is confident. Uh, There's nothing more confident than a fool. There's nothing more confident than a fool. Uh, The fool is confident in his foolishness. Uh, Often he'll say to the wise man, What, are you chicken or something? You know, because they're so confident in in the way they're going. Uh, But the wise man, he, he, he fears... And so he makes the right choice, and he doesn't follow, follow the foolish path. He doesn't follow that, that path that leads to destruction. Now, the word fear here does mean, you know, be afraid, to, to be fearful. And, you know, there's no, let me tell you something, there's no weakness in being fearful. There is no weakness in being fearful. That's not a sign of weakness. That's a, to me, that's a sign of being smart, right? Uh, if you've got a raging fire... Are you going to stick your hand in that raging fire? That would be foolish, wouldn't it? Because what would happen if you stuck your hand in a raging fire? You'd probably end up losing it. So that's just plain foolish, you know? Uh, There is no wisdom in the philosophy of, here, hold my beer and watch this. There's no wisdom in that. But yet that's the way the fool is. That's the way the fool is. Uh, the word fear also speaks of reverence or re- being respectful, right? Being reverent or respectful. You know, if God's word says this, then obeying that is just a smart thing to do. That's being respectful. It's being wise. Proverbs 10, 8 says, The wise in heart will receive commandments, but a prating fool shall fall. You know, they speak against what is wise. That's why they the word pratting. You know, if there's one thing that a parent, and we try to instill this in our own kids, if there's one thing a parent should get across to their kids as they're growing up is, you know, hold to what is right. You know, don't listen. Don't listen to the fools who are trying to lead you astray, trying to get you to try this or do that. You know, don't buckle under the ridicule. Don't buckle under the peer pressure. You stand on what's right. You know? You stand on what's right. Uh, You know, don't worry about their taunting and calling you goody two-shoes, you know? That's what happened to me. You know, it was my it was my peers, it was my friends that led me into cigarette smoking and drinking and taking drugs. I knew that was wrong. My mom and dad warned me against that kind of stuff. But I was a fool and I listened to my friends, you know. And I, I followed my friends and got myself in all sorts of all sorts of trouble. You know, it takes more courage to stand for the Lord than to go to the way to go to the way of the fool. 
It does. It takes courage. That's a sign of strength when you say no to the knuckleheads. You know, so don't let, don't let them taunt you. Don't let them uh, wear you down. Now, I, I, I divided this study up into two headings. And the first one is um, the beginning of this mess, this whole mess that we're in now, was, it, was, it was an issue of authority. It was an issue of authority. And some of you might be familiar with these two passages, Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28. Can anybody tell me what those two passages, who it talks about? It's okay. Talks about Lucifer. Talks about the devil. That's what it talks about. Now take and consider this for a minute. Uh, The whole mess that we find this world in actually began with an individual that had issues with who was in charge. That's why we're in the situation we're in. Isaiah 14.12 says, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which did weaken the nations? He's the one that started this whole mess. In Ezekiel 28, turn to Ezekiel 28. Ezekiel 28, starting in verse 13, we're going to see a little detail about this, this creature. In Ezekiel 28 and verse 13, this, this, is, uh, this is the Lord speaking about um, Lucifer. He says, Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering, the sardis, topaz, and the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, and the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, and the carbuncle, which a lot of people believe is a, is a, was a red garnet, and gold. The workmanship of thy tabrets and of thy pipes was prepared in thee in the day that thou was created. Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, and I have set thee so. Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Thou wast perfect in thy ways from the day that thou was created till iniquity was found in thee. By the multitude of thy merchandise they have filled the midst of thee with violence that has sinned. Therefore I will cast thee as profane out of the mountain of God and I will destroy thee. O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. I will cast thee to the ground. I will lay thee before kings that they may behold thee. So this is talking about and the devil, or who we know as Satan, prior to his fall and after his fall. But he was a bejeweled creature. He was the, uh, here's a fancy word, he was the penelope of God, of God's throne, which simply means he, he uh, covered the throne of God. You know, he, he hovered over the throne of God. And there was a reason for his bejeweled body. It was when the glory of God was shining, then his bejeweled body would reflect the glory of God throughout all of creation. You know, talk about a light show. That must have been just incredible to see. Talks about his tabrets and its pipes. Well, that's because he led the choir of the angels in heaven. You know, he was the choir leader. He was the one who led the Alleluia Chorus. 
Why do you think music is such a strong influence among men today? Because the devil uses that to influence them away from God. You know, and why do you think a lot of the battles happen with your praise leaders and your because he knows. You know, we're we're using music to glorify God. He's against that. So he, one of the main targets he's going to shoot for is the praise. He's going to corrupt it. He's going to cause problems. Because he, he knows. And so this being became... Up, he became um, conceited, full of himself. Became envious of God. He wanted what was not his to have. See, the fundamental root of pride, whether it's found in man or in angels, is a direct rebellion against God. It just is. It's a direct rebellion against God, His person, His character, who He is. Isaiah 14.12 says that Lucifer weakened the nations. The name Lucifer means light bearer, not the light. Okay? Well, he got to thinking, well, I'm, I'm the light. No, you're not. That's why his name was changed to, to Satan. It says here, he weakened the nations. Proverbs 29.18 says, where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. To weaken something, is, uh, is, uh, or someone, is to disable them. Right? To, to cause them to fall down prostrate where they're not able to get back up. Um, to take away from them their strength. You know, the devil's influence in this world and being jealous of God's authority. Seeking to be the one in charge by running the kingdoms. Messing around with the politics of the kingdoms. What he has essentially done is he's hamstrung the nations. Instead of those nations rightly, you know, worshiping God and glorifying God, Satan has plunged the nations into spiritual darkness. That's why we've got the mess that we have. That's why nobody can get along with with one another. Because he's out there stirring up the pot. What is it Ephesians says? He says, he's the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. That's exactly what he's done. He's, he's turned what God meant to be a garden, a paradise, and he's turned it into, excuse the language, a hell. Hell on earth. I mean, look at the history of this world. It's been one war after another, hasn't it? The disease, the death, and it's going to get more hellish. It's going to get more hellish. Revelations 12, 12, Therefore rejoice ye heavens, and ye that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the, and of the seal, for the devil is come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knoweth that he hath, put, he hath but a short time. Now think about that for a minute. I mean, we're seeing what he's doing now, but one of these days, he is going to be physically on this planet. 
That's going to be horrible. It's going to be horrible. I had a man ask me one day what I thought was the reason for all the violence and the disease and turmoil and death in the world. And I told him very simply, well, the devil. The devil started the whole mess. The devil started the whole mess. Because it, it, it really does boil down to an issue of authority. He wanted to be the one in charge. Can you imagine if the devil was in charge? I mean, look what he's doing now. Ah, that'd be horrible. The whole mess started with a creature named Lucifer. Now think about this. He held the most exalted position in heaven. He was the covering of the throne of God. God specifically designed him to reflect his glory and to sing his praises. That's a pretty good place to be. But he wasn't satisfied with that. He wasn't satisfied. Just like a lot of people today, they've got good positions, but they want that next person's position. A little higher up on the ladder. A little higher up on the ladder. Again, going back to Isaiah 14, verse 13, he says, For thou hast said in thine heart, Issue of the heart. It's always an issue of the heart. I will ascend to heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. I will be like the most high. Issue of authority. And what does God say? Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. This, this creature's issue with authority, his rebellious attitude toward God, is what started this whole mess. And he wasn't satisfied with taking a third of the angels with him. You know where, what else he did? He took his beef to mankind when he saw Eve in the garden. He said, Yea, hath God said. Yeah, he took his beef to the garden. Do you think Eve was Satan's target? Do you think Eve was was the target of the serpent? No. You know who his his real target was? It was God. It was God. Yea, hath God said. He attacked the authority of God. What God said. Psalms 138.2 says, I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. You rebel against God's word. It's, a, it's, a, it's equivalent to rebelling against God himself. You can't separate the two. You can't separate the two. When you stand there in your pride and you say, I don't believe the Bible and what it says about this or that. I don't believe the Bible about, you know, morality or salvation. I don't, I don't believe what the Bible has to do. You know what you're doing? You're rebelling against God's authority and you're more or less declaring your own independence. You know, I, I am free from all restraint as far as God is concerned. That's no different than what the fallen angel did. 
in his poem Paradise Lost uh, John Milton anybody ever read that read that it's a good poem it's a long one but it's a good one it's, 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 it's an interesting read anyway um, he has Satan defeated uh, laying down beside the lake of fire okay this is a poem All right, it's, a, it's an analogy but he has Satan say this to, to rally his troops his fallen angels that are around him I know you guys have heard this he said better to reign in hell than be a slave in heaven better to reign in hell than be a slave in heaven you know I looked this up uh, just to see what other people had to say about it you know some scholars you know some English majors you know what I was surprised to find a lot of these scholars and English majors and these folks that studied this kind of stuff they were on the devil's side in this matter they looked at this as a positive thing they touted Satan as a hero that rebelled against the tyranny of God in heaven and that this is truly the best course in life if you want to be prosperous if you want to be happy in life then declare your independence be autonomous be your own person don't we hear that on television all the time that's what we're hearing on television all the time be your own person be your own boss what this fallen angel began in heaven he brought down to earth in the garden and initiated a threefold rebellion that targeted God's person, God's character and God's word a little further study in this poem about what some of these um, learned men had wrote about it, let me quote from this one fella I thought this was really interesting he writes Lucifer steals the show and gets all the best parts of the poem He's a surprisingly sympathetic character while God is kind of a jerk. He said, this will not be news to anyone who has read the Old Testament. I don't know what he read. He said, this is this guy talking. He says, God would be the worst boss ever. Petty, vengeful, micromanaging everything. Always transforming Karen from HR into a pillar of salt. He says, I bet he reheats tuna casseroles in the office microwave. That's enough to turn anyone into being pure evil. And so Lucifer rebels against God's tyranny, is cast out into the darkness as the fallen angel Satan utters the famous line, better to reign in hell than serve in heaven. He says, now I know that Satan is meant to be the bad guy, He's literally the bad guy, but honestly, he says, I'm kind of with the devil on this one. That's been the issue with mankind ever since the fall. I'm kind of with the devil on this one. Job 14.1 says, man that is born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble. Huh, I wonder why he's full of trouble. I'd venture to say that the majority of our trouble today, both personally and collectively, is centered in this issue of authority. Centered in this issue of authority. (coughs) 
either someone's wanting to be in charge or someone not submitting to those who are in charge or the wrong ones being in charge or the ones who are in charge are not doing the right thing and it just goes on and on and on and on and on. And of course the original issue is the hard attitude concerning who is the authority. Who is the authority? Now, this may sound like I'm oversimplifying a very complicated issue, but I believe that the root cause or the source of all a man's trouble is this issue of rebellion against God's authority. The fools despise wisdom and instruction. They rebel against God's authority. They believe that they're exercising some sort of autonomy, some sort of freedom. They look at God as a killjoy. Uh, Somebody who's oppressive. Somebody who's always putting rules on you. They want to be their own captain. Are you familiar with the poem Invictus? That means unconquered. That's Latin for unconquered. A fellow by the name of uh, William Ernest Henley back in the 1800s, I think, he wrote this. Listen to this poem. He says, Out of the night that covers me, black as the pit from pole to pole, I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. In the fell clutch of circumstance, I have not winced nor cried aloud. Under the bludgeonings of chance, my head is bloody but unbowed. Beyond this place of wrath and tears looms but the horror of the shade, and yet the menace of the years finds and shall find me unafraid. It matters not how straight the gates, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. So more or less what he's doing is he's thumbing his nose at you-know-who. That's what he's doing. And that is the attitude of mankind. That is the attitude of mankind. And what one little word would summarize this attitude? Starts with an S, ends with an N. Sin. Sin. It's the sin in mankind that complicates matters. It's the sin in mankind that brings him trouble. It's the sin in mankind that there's disease and war and famine. But isn't it weird how sinful man will blame God for all of that? And in their rebellion, mankind honestly believes they have accomplished autonomy or independence, self-rule and self-government. They've been deceived. There's only one being that is totally autonomous. That's God. There's no limitations, no boundaries. There's no one telling him what to do. But Paul says in Romans 11.33, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how search, unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been his counselor? Nobody. Or who hath first given to him, and it shall be recompensed unto him again. For of him, through him, and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. God's the only one that is truly autonomous. 
Not man. Not the angels. 1 John 3, 4 says, Whosoever committeth sin transgresses also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. It's an issue of authority. It's an issue of authority. And you know what's really grievous? Is that, do you think that God wrote the law to be a killjoy? Do you think God wrote the law to take away your fun? No. What is the principle, the number one principle behind the law of God? Four letter word love. Isn't it? It is. That is the fundamental principle behind the law. Romans 8, uh, 13.8 says, Owe no man anything but to love one another. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. For this thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. And if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. That God wrote the law for man's good. And the fundamental principle behind love is love for God and love for your fellow man. But somehow, in our sinful state, we've got that all twisted and turned around. Something else that rebellious man absolutely hates, they hate God's provision of salvation. God has provided a way to be reconciled to himself. And mankind hates it. But God committed his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, were we all enemies of God at one time? I know I was. We were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. I remember one time at a church that we attended, we had a guest speaker come who had fallen into this liberalism. Of course, he re- repented of that liberalism. You know, he showed us his Bible. Diane, you remember this? He showed us his Bible. And he held the Bible up and flipped to the pages. And there were huge gaps in the Bible that he had cut out because he didn't agree with it. He didn't agree with it. So he cut it out. Now, he had repented from all this, but that's where he was. He rejected God's revelation to mankind, even, even, even about salvation. In fact, he, he says he went to a cocktail party that was full of ministers and priests. And he was talking to one of the um, uh, big-name ministers at the time, big-name liberal minister at the time. And this big-name liberal... Excuse me for my language, I'm just simply quoting... 
what this big time liberal minister said he's dead now but he told this man he says Jesus Christ was a bastard and he deserved everything he got and this was a man who was a minister big name minister but that's that's man's attitude toward the gospel towards the gospel God has freely offered a means to, for mankind to be reconciled to himself, but they refuse it. They refuse it. For mankind will either come to God on their terms, or they won't come to God at all. They'll come to God on their terms, or they will not come to God at all and usually their terms is preserving this illusion of autonomy because that's what it is it's an illusion it's an illusion the greatest lie that satan has told mankind is that mankind can find happiness and prosperity and purpose in life without god and mankind has bought into that hook line and sinker Genesis 3, 4, And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die, for God doth know that the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. That's the problem with mankind. They think that they are gods. I'm the one in charge. I knew a man once who rebelled against authority. The authorities sought to reconcile with this man. And this man was a, was a good man. He was a, he was a godly man. But he'd gotten himself twisted. And the authority offered to this man a fair and equitable way to mend fences, to put aside differences, to restore him. But this man refused. And what he did in, is he began laying out his personal terms for the authority to meet in order for any reconciliation to be to take place and these terms that he laid out were more to his advantage and more to the promotion of his reputation you know that then really should have been there and instead of doing what god's word says let him seek peace and ensue it This man's pride placed roadblocks and impeded the process of reconciliation. And unfortunately, this man died never reconciling. Because he was convinced he was just in his own cause. He, He just could not see where he was wrong. And would not admit to it. Proverbs 18.17 says, He that is first in his own cause seemeth just, but his neighbor cometh and searcheth him. That's, a, that's not a good place to be. That's, a, that's not a good place to be. Honestly, folks, there are some matters that are greater than one's own cause in this life. But so many of us just don't want to give that up. 
think about a lost man or a woman who refuses and rejects God's gracious offer of reconciliation. They reject God's terms in favor of their own terms. Unless God saves me according to the way I want to be saved, then I want nothing to do with it. Essentially, that's what a lot of people say. That's what a lot of people say. They become unreconciled to the authority instead of it trusting in the authority as their as their savior, one of these days, sadly, they're going to face this very same authority as their judge. And that's not going to be a good day. Not going to be a good day. Sin and all of its various manifestations, that's just simply a rebellious attitude saying, God, I reject what your word says on this matter. That's true of the lost and that's true of the redeemed. That's true of the lost and that's true of the redeemed. Essentially what you're saying is this. I am of my own authority and I'm going to do as I blankety blank want to do. That's what you're that's what you're saying. It's like Judges 21-25. In those days there was no king in Israel. Every man did that which was right in his own ways. Proverbs tells me there is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof is death. Be careful. But that's the tenor of the majority of mankind. They're under the influence of this prince of the power of the air. They're thumbing their nose at God's authority and they honestly but mistakenly believe that they are their own captain. They honestly believe that they are free to do whatever they want. When you choose to reject the authority of God and his word, You know, you're you're pretty much turning your back on the only holy and righteous standard there is. When you turn your back on that which is founded upon love, you fail to esteem God as as the ultimate authority, uh, giving him the respect and the esteem that he deserves, and all that's left to you is a moral relativism. Where there are no absolutes. It's all based upon someone's personal opinion and today how one wishes to identify themselves as. Talk about confusion. And then when you start yelling for justice, it no longer exists because you've done away with it. You've done away with the standard of justice. It's no wonder everything is so confused. Turned upside down. So what are we to do with the light of this sad and tragic fact about life on this planet? How can we step off from this path of perpetual darkness and start traveling on a a path that gets brighter and brighter? Well, the solution to this mess, not surprising to us, is a person isn't it? It's a person. You know, previously, I think it was the last lesson I taught about the consequences of spiritual blindness. 
That's where the world is right now. They're in spiritual blindness. You know what the cure to spiritual blindness is? Coming to the light. Coming to the light. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Another time that that word beginning is mentioned is in John chapter 1. Verses 1 through 5, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Why don't they comprehend it? Because they're in rebellion against it. They hate it. They don't want anything to do with it. But those of us who see the light, we see the wisdom of that light now, don't we? We know that's the right way to go. Proverbs 4.19 The way of the wicked is as darkness, they know not at what they stumble. You know, when we read about wicked, you know, we think of somebody who's depraved going around kicking puppy dogs all the time. Yeah, that's pretty wicked. But a wicked person in the Bible is someone who declares their independence from God. I am my own authority. And I reject God as my king, my Lord. That's wickedness. That's wickedness. The way of the wicked is the way of rebellion. It's the way of rejecting that light. And that light is a person. John 8, 12, Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Now I'm going to ask you guys a question. Be honest with yourself. When you receive Christ as your Savior... And you started reading God's Word, and it started to open up to you. Wasn't it like stepping out of darkness into light? It was for me. It's like somebody turned a light bulb on in my brain. If we don't have a living relationship with Jesus Christ as our Savior, if we haven't submitted to Him as our Lord then we're going to miss that very first crucial off-ramp onto the path of the just. Salvation is essential. Because salvation gets you on the right path. It gets you on the right path. Proverbs uh, points out this crucial first landmark. Proverbs 14.27 says, The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to depart from the snares of death. Fountain of life. Would you say water is pretty important? Would you say there would be no life on this planet if there were no water? Yeah. Do you know why scientists are looking for water on the moon and other planets? you know why? Because they know if water is present, then the chances of life may be there. So they get it. They get it. 
the early pioneers that settled this, this, this country, they traveled from one water source to the next. Why? Because they knew how crucial water was. If they traveled so far and they never found water, what would happen? They perished. They understood this. Once again, Jesus himself, he refers to himself as water. John 4.13, Jesus answered and said unto her, The woman by the well, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again, but whosoever drinketh the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water spring up into everlasting life. I read a, a fascinating book written by a man, and he was a, he's a scientist, by the name of Michael Denton, and he, uh, the title of the book was The Wonder of Water. The Wonder of Water. Now, I don't think Michael Denton is a... Uh, I don't think he's a hardcore believer, but at least he's an honest enough scientist to recognize, you know what? There may be a designer behind all this. But this is what he says. Talking about water. The life-giving properties of water. He says, Given that hydrogen and oxygen are two of the three most abundant elements in the cosmos, he says, It seems that nature was focused from the beginning on making water. And through its unique magic, the phenomenon of life in the universe... Um, and then he quotes this one fella, uh, one gal, Laureen Isley. If there is a path, uh, if the vagaries of the road do have a meaning, if there is a sign of the invisible, then it is water more than any other single substance that illuminates the way. Notice the words here, nature being focused and magic and sign of the invisible you know what these scientists are are just standing right at the line of admitting there is a God there is a God and they're saying looking at the evidence of this life giving properties of water maybe there is a creator. There is a designer. You know what I say to them? Yes, there is. There is. Without water in our physical life, we would perish. And it's, it's the same true in our spiritual life. Without the water of God's word, we will perish spiritually. I'm not saying we won't go to heaven, but we need to drink deeply of this water. Jesus said in John 7:37, "In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, "If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink." He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow 
rivers of living water. Then John adds in parentheses in verse 39, But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. So what does that say? If you are a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit of God dwelling in you who is equivalent to this water of life, this fountain of life. Which makes perfect sense because what does the Bible say that God is? God is life. If you do not have the Spirit, you do not have life. The world hates to hear that. But that's what the Bible says. If you have never been born again, John 3, 3. If you have never called believing on the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, Romans 10, 9 through 10. If you have never stopped trusting in your own works, but believed in the grace of God, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Right? Then you will remain dead in your trespasses and sins, Ephesians 2, 1. Remain separated from God and in the end have a horrible eternity. That's not my opinion. That's what God's word tells me. Again, it comes down, what is my attitude concerning authority? Will you be like Eve and listen to the devil saying, Yea, hath God said, or are you going to listen to God's word? It's up to you. You know, Mahatma Gandhi said, if a man reaches the heart of his own religion, he has reached the heart of the others too. There's only one God, but there are many paths to him. How many times have you ever heard something like that? Right? I notice we have a tract out here. I've got my own religion. And that is so true. But what does the Bible say about these many paths? There's only one. John 14, 6, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Oh, the world hates that message. Oh, that's too inclusive. Or too exclusive. Jesus can't be. That can't be. It's like that poem, Against the Straight Gate. Narrow is the way. Straight is the gate. Yeah, there's only one way. In uh, the beginning of the 20th century, a gal wrote a poem. She read this poem. And she wrote another poem. She wrote a poem contrary to this poem. Her name is Dorothy Day. This is her poem. This one is entitled Unconquered. She titled hers Conquered. She wrote, Out of the light that dazzles me, bright as the sun from pole to pole, I thank the God I know to be for Christ, the conqueror of my soul. Since his the sway of circumstance, I would not wince nor cry aloud. Under the rule which men call chance, my head with joy is humbly bowed. 
beyond this place of sin and tears that life with him and his the aid that spite the menace of the years keeps and will keep me unafraid she says I have no fear though straight the gate he cleared from punishment the scroll Christ is the master of my fate Christ is the captain of my soul you know what I say to that amen I would much rather be conquered by Christ than clear my autonomy and go to hell. Because that's what it basically is. It is. It is as simple as that. It really is. To have an unconquered soul, that's not heroic. That's not even liberating. Because you're bound in your foolishness. You're still trapped in your sin. And one of these days, you'll be trapped in the lake of fire. There's no freedom in that. But to have a soul conquered by the greatest love known to mankind, because really that's what conquered me, was God's love for me. That's what conquered me. How could I stand against a love like that? Conquered by the love of Jesus Christ. I am I willingly get on my knees before him and proclaim him as the captain of my soul. And I hope you do too. I hope you do too. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus, so walk ye in him. So the very first landmark is submit to the authority. And for us, that authority is the Lord Jesus Christ. That's just the beginning. But that's where it has to start. That's where it has to start. Amen? Holy Father in heaven, we are so grateful that someone came to us. Or we went somewhere and we heard the good news of Jesus Christ and that, Father, you worked upon our hearts and we received Jesus by faith. And now, Lord, we are new creatures in Christ. We are so grateful for this great salvation. We know a little bit of it now, Lord, but one of these days, like those who have gone before us, one of these days we're going to see that salvation with eyes wide open and hearts just bursting with joy. Father in heaven, burden us for others who do not know this, that we might share with them and tell them the good news that Jesus Christ indeed is the way, the truth, and the life, and that they can be reconciled to you by what he has accomplished for them. We thank you so much for your love that conquered our hearts. May we share that love with others. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.